This is Self-Care U with Scott, and today we highlight the Children's Aid Society and the great work that they do. I'll be joined by my good buddy John Hollick as we expose all the great things CAS does for the community. Durham Children's Aid Society's mission is to work with families and communities for the safety, stability, and well-being of the children and youth. Today we have a conversation about the effort being put forth to help combat the issue of child abuse, abandonment, and neglect. But in true self-care use style, we're about spotlighting the amazing work being done by all the members at CAS. This is Self-Care U, and we're about to level up with this positive conversation about the Children's Aid Society. The Self-Care You podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Into Thrive. The team at Into Thrive believe that obtaining a healthy lifestyle is not as hard as it seems. Into Thrive is built on the four pillars of success, motion, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. But maybe the most valuable part of the program is that they have non-judgmental accountability. I speak from experience. I took the metabolic reset and lost over 30 pounds, but it wasn't by starving myself and eating food that doesn't taste good. It's a well-thought-out nutritional plan that doesn't hit your bank account. It's strong motivation from a mindset expert. And it's accountability. If you're pushing to lose that COVID weight or just want to be healthy, Into Thrive is the right place. Be sure to check them out at www.intothrive.com to start the conversation today. What's good, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Self-Care You Podcast, and today we have a great one. We sit down with John Hollick, a good friend of mine, and we talk about his life experiences in foster care and caseworkers and just how positively they impacted his life. It's an amazing conversation. Let's just get right into it. So today we have the opportunity to sit down with good buddy and friend of the podcast, John Hollick. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Scott? I'm really good, man. I'm really good. And for those who are avid listeners of the Self-Care You podcast, you'll remember John from episode nine with our conversation about sledge hockey. But today we call upon John to chat to us about his life experiences in foster care and the positive impact of his caseworkers had on his life. So, John, maybe you can help our listeners kind of understand what foster care means to you. So foster care means to me that uh, my family was my parents were not able to to properly care for me for whatever reason. And um, I was sent to a foster family who was there to to show me what a family is supposed to be and how how a mother and father are supposed to act and how family treats each other. Um, That's what foster care means to me. Yeah, it comes in many different forms, right? We all have you know, certain different things that we deal with when we're growing up. And some people, you know, don't have their parents in their lives. I'm, I have always been open and honest and let everyone know that my father wasn't in my life and grew up as a single parent, you know, household with three kids and really trying to navigate that. So I'm really interested in what it was like for you growing up as a child, you know, living in foster care, what that looked like, maybe some of the things that you had to work through in order to make sure that you were doing positive things in your life. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a backstory of kind of what that looked like. So I would say that my experience in foster care is overall like a a positive experience. Um, Don't get me wrong. I really struggled with things as a, as a young guy. Um, 
essentially you're you're waking up in a home where these people are not your family. You're waking up Christmas morning with people who are not your parents or not your siblings, right? So, and you know that, that's always in the back of your head. So as a kid, that was kind of my biggest obstacle of overcoming was um, accepting that 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 was my situation, you know, and, uh, and uh, I always really struggled with like loyalty complex. So I was always loyal to like my, my birth family. Um, but I also really, really, really liked uh, where I lived. And so I was, as a kid, like as a five and six year old kid, I was really cautious around like conversations with my biological father. I, w- I wouldn't really talk too too highly of what was going on at the foster home. And vice versa. Like I, I was really cautious about what I said to my foster family because I knew that there was like hard feelings on like my biological father's side towards the foster family. Um, and I mean, that's just an experience that like most five and six year olds don't really have to worry about. Right. So those are some of the like the obstacles that I think just naturally come with with kids in care. Um, but overall, like my, my foster family and my workers were amazing, amazing people. And um, yeah, so. When I was a kid, you know, my dad not being around obviously was difficult when I was like a teenager, whether it be graduations or high school events or whatever it may be. I'm interested to kind of see how that navigated with your life and and how you were able to work those things out. Obviously, your your foster parents assumed the role or was it a joint gathering by everybody? How did that work? So it was very much like a, a joint, a joint thing, like um. CAS never tried to keep me from my birth family. They they encouraged uh, my birth family to be involved. And the person that spearheaded that was my grandmother, which is my dad's mom. So we, she was basically like a second mom to us. She actually placed us into care because um, she knew that we, me and my two siblings had like some challenges and, uh, and that she couldn't, she had a sick husband at the time and she couldn't really care for all three of us. So she placed us in the care. And uh, we would early on, we would come and see her every weekend and uh, she would come to like my grade eight graduation. Uh, They would come to my hockey games. So um, my dad, like I said, my dad was a little more angry towards the situation and angry towards my foster family Um, in time. Like that definitely softened, softened and he would come to like, you know, when I played on a grade six soccer team in school, he would come watch some games and he would definitely come watch my hockey games um so yeah I mean it was I appreciate my foster family more for it now because I understand that my dad wasn't the easiest man to get along with but they always kept that door open um where like for events and activities and uh yeah it it was it's kind of cool um as an adult now that I I can look back on that and, and thank my mom and dad for doing that for me I know as growing up as a kid, I had, you know, mentors or people that would help me along, you know, whether it be sports coaches or, you know, teachers and things like that, that kind of filled that void of that, you know, role model, my father role model. I'm interested in hearing about, you know, caseworkers and what that means to you. I know there's kind of like a a mentorship or maybe they help you away from your family. Maybe you can kind of give us an understanding of how that is. Sure. I I looked up to two people as a young lad, right? And that was my foster dad and my biological dad who were two completely different people. Right. So one of the struggles I had was like my foster dad would like my, my real dad would come to my hockey games and he'd bring his buddies and they'd want to see me like go out there and fight. And then my foster dads 
talking to me about like, you know, real men don't need to fight. Real men walk away. Um, that's not why you're, you're, you're doing this. Like, it's not why you're playing hockey. Right. So um, as a young guy, like I really like, there was real conflict. Even as a young guy, I could sense it um, between them, not so much like actual fighting or anything, but just from like the message I was getting from each father was completely different. And uh, so as a young guy, like I really struggled with all that. And I felt like tension between them. Right. Um, so in saying that, when I was around six years old, I got a, a caseworker. His name was Lauren Trevers and uh, he worked for the Durham Children's Aid Society. And, uh, and uh, he was, I remember as a six year old guy, having a male worker come in was great for me because I could like talk to them more and they would understand more. So he would understand, like I could express to him my frustration with the conflict between both fathers. Not that my foster father did anything to fuel that conflict. He was just trying to make me the best man that I could be. Um, but as a kid, I just felt like there was a little bit of conflict. So Lauren was really good for, you know, talking to him about all that and, and bouncing ideas off of him, even as like a seven, eight, nine, ten year old kid, right? So um, in what I really appreciated about Lauren was that Lauren didn't treat me as if I was a foster kid, you know, he just was like a friend that I got to go out with every three months and talk about how my life was going. Um, because I didn't feel like I could fully talk to even my foster family or my biological family. Right. So having male, having a male role model that was not, not judging me in any way or not judging if I did like this parent more than this parent, like he was just very understanding. Yeah, he was, it was just, it was, it's something I really needed as a young guy, right? So I had born from grade, from six years old till I was about 12 years old. I, I didn't really realize how much I appreciated that until I got older in life. And I was fortunate enough to like reconnect with him uh, later in life through my union activity, actually, which is kind of funny. So that's, that's pretty awesome. I got a quick question for you before we get into yeah. kind of the reconnection. I'm really interested in knowing that relationship, you know, I grew up, I had uh, big brothers, big sisters, you know, we'd go out, things like that. And I'm, I'm interested, those relationships were like, kind of on the surface, right? It wasn't really as in depth as you're saying, I guess, with Lauren, I, was there the ability to provide confidential information? Or, you know, was it something that was always going to get conveyed back to the foster parent or, or somebody else about how you're feeling all that kind of stuff? Did you feel a sense of security? Yes, 100%. So, I mean, I didn't really get to like talk to him a whole lot, to be honest with you. Like, uh, we we met when the kid, when you're a kid in care and you're a carnivore, you do a uh, plan of cares every three months. So, it's literally you just sit down and they fill this big piece of paper and it talked about like your goals and things that you wanted to do and just the things that were bothering you. If I had done something as a young lad that, you know, I got in trouble for or something like that, he would talk to me about all that. Um, but no, I definitely felt um, confidentiality. Like, if I did say something, not that my foster, like I said, I'm not, my, my foster family was amazing. Um, I just, if there was ever, I just sometimes felt like I couldn't say something because I didn't want, not that my foster family would react in any sort of way. I just, I was very cautious about those entering those waters, you know, um, whereas with him, I, I could definitely talk to him and tell him uh, how he was feeling or things that were bugging me. So, and it, I never got a sense that it ever went back to either side. So Right. So you've told me that you've had a few different caseworkers and, and Lauren being one of them. I'm interested in hearing about just really how important 
the reconnection came. So you told us, you just mentioned earlier that through some of your union work, which is another amazing thing that, you know, you come from a spot where someone is helping you and now you put yourself in a spot where you help others. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And through that, you connected with Lauren later on down the line. Tell us about how that worked out. So I was uh, fairly new in the union and I was away at a conference and our national rep who always kind of looked familiar to me. I couldn't really put my finger on how I knew him. I just thought maybe it was through like other union meetings or something. I didn't really know. Uh, me and him were having uh, shots one night and uh, he said, oh, so you grew up in foster care. And I said, yep. And he said, uh, where'd you live? And I said, oh, I lived in Orno. And he goes, oh, he goes, there's only two foster families in Orno. And like my foster parents were foster parents for like 45 years. So they were pretty well known. And okay. so I said, oh, I was, you know, I told him who I was with. And um, he says, oh, wow, they're amazing people. He goes, I was their, I was their worker. And so for those who don't know, foster families actually have their own workers as well. Like the kids have their own worker. And then the foster family has their own worker too. And uh, so that's how I recognized him was that he used to come by the house. I never really spoke to him, but I remember seeing him at the house talking to my foster mom and dad. And his name was, he's a great guy too, actually. His name is Rob Cull. And uh, he ended up going and working for uh, QP as well. And uh, he said, well, who was your workers? And uh, so I told him, Lauren Trevor's. And he starts laughing. He goes, no way. He goes, Lauren's my best friend. And no I was like, way. <laughs> get out of town. And um, so... Uh, I got another year goes by. We were at the, like, the next conference or something. And he, Rob comes up. He goes, Lauren told me to tell you that uh, he's coming. And so at this point, Lauren was living down east, I believe in Nova Scotia. And uh, so I was pretty, uh, it was like spur of the moment, right? Like I didn't really know. And, and there, you know, Nikki was there. We're all going over for dinner. And they're like, Lauren wants to meet up. So we invited him to come over for dinner just at the restaurant at the bottom of the hotel. And, uh, real swanky place right like everything like everyone's <laughs> dressed up and we're all sitting there there's probably like there's me my buddy matt his wife at the time nikki there was probably 10 of us there and uh of course lauren is late coming in so i'm standing i'm sitting there like just nervous as heck waiting to meet this guy that you know i wanted to thank because one of the things that i've noticed as i get older is that it's kind of a thankless job that they do and they're often they're often criticized or um villainized and uh so i was sitting there i just want to meet this guy again and say thank you for doing the job that he did and treating me the way he did and uh i'm you know as a young guy growing up in care like he was the, he was like a man to me like he was the guy that that i respected a lot and i held him kind of in this high regard and and um so i'm sitting there all nervous like waiting for lauren to come walking in and uh it was just kind of funny because like I consider myself a pretty progressive person. I don't really care who you love or I don't really care what race you are. I don't really care what, you know, color your skin is. As yeah. long as you treat me good, I'm going to treat you good. Right. But right. so Lauren comes walking in with his husband and it was, it took me, you know, like 10 seconds to go. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> okay. I didn't, you know, and I didn't even see that coming. And but he's the type of guy, Lauren, that he comes right up and he cracks a joke about it right away or starts, and he starts making everyone laugh, right? Like, and that's just how Lauren was. He was just like a really funny, great guy that treated everybody like, you know, great. And uh, anyways, it, it was just like a, 
like I said, and now that I look back on it, I just didn't think about how like I was so nervous to meet him and see him again. And then, yeah, that walk, and then he walks in with his husband. And like I said, it was just kind of like a, I wouldn't say shell shock, but a sh- like a shock. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. So, right. How many years are we talking where there was a space where you last saw Lauren to where you got to reconnect? Uh, like 15, 17 years at least. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Did you have yeah. the feeling like, you know how you know how sometimes you get away from your buddies like we might not see each other for a while and then we get together and it's like right back in the pocket you're you're telling jokes did you feel like you're in that same sense with Lauren? Yeah, for sure. So that's what I mean like he walked up and started cracking jokes right away. Um and uh and my my foster family are they're 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 heavier set people and myself am a heavier set person so Lauren walks up and he goes, "Wow." you look just like the Gillichaks. <laughs> and, uh, it was just, it was kind of funny. And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's just how he is. He was just like a, yeah. Like I said, he, he cared about everybody and he would joke about anything sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like he was just a good dude. And, um, well, and right that's... away, like it, right away, like instantly the, the, any awkwardness or anything was gone, you know? So, yeah. And that tells you from that comment, not only is he trying to break the ice, but he's also trying to, you know, maybe 30 seconds before that expecting what John's going to look like. You know what I mean? He's trying to figure out what that might be as just like you are, you're waiting there nervous to, to meet him. Right. So yeah, pretty yeah. interesting that he would come up with that comment to break the ice. And then you go <laughs> just right into, you know, the old days, right. Telling stories or whatever it may be. I imagine, do you still have a pretty good relationship now? Do you keep in contact or. Uh, Lauren's actually since passed. Um, so. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. It was uh, like three years ago, I believe now, he passed. Um, uh, I'm just happy that, like, so I try and take the positive of most things, man. And so I'm just happy that I got to reconnect with him for that short time. And I'm happy that uh, I got to thank him. And uh, yeah, so I'm just happy I got to relay that message to him. I know he was thankful on it. Um, It was funny when I was asking him or when I was thanking him, he just kept going, well, what did I like? What did I do? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, like asking if there was like one specific thing that he had did and I'm like Lauren there's not like one specific thing that you did it was like six years of just like listening to me and um, trusting in me and um, like giving me good advice and just being there like non-judgmental and just I knew that you always cared about my best interests and um, yeah. yeah and I, I don't even think sometimes people think that in order to like help someone in life that you got to do some miraculous thing and sometimes all you got to do is just treat them as if they're human. So for that hour or two that I was hanging out with Lauren as a kid, I, I didn't think of myself as a foster kid. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I just think sometimes people, it's the small things that you do sometimes, not, you know, the big things that you can do to help people. So, Well, and the positive thing out of this is that you had a caseworker that positively impacted your life and then was taken away from you suddenly. And then 16 years went by and then you were able to reconnect And there are so many people that don't have the opportunity to do that. And, you know, unfortunately he's passed on now, but you have that ability to understand that there are people that care even before they know you, they don't even know who you are. Their whole goal is to make sure that you do well. Right. And that, you know, that's a caseworker, you know, that positively impacted your life. So I know that you mentioned that you had another caseworker, Kathy, maybe you could give us kind of a little bit of how that relationship was as well. Yeah, so I uh, Lauren left, uh, which I now know was because he went and started working for the union. 
which is funny because that's ironically the thing that reconnected us. Yeah, that's crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> but as a kid, like I didn't understand, right? And they don't really tell you. So it was just so then I got stuck with this new worker and I was like, oh man, like just you know, I was like 12 or 13, you know, the attitude and stuff. And right. I yeah. Like, oh, I got this new worker and it was a girl, and I was like, oh man. And uh, I mean, Kat, it was very quick to start liking Kathy. She's a, like, it's the same. She's a very kind lady. Maybe not the joker that Lauren was a little more like down in the business and trying to, you know, do her job. But she was definitely like, I definitely knew that Kathy cared about the direction I was going in life. And, uh, and I knew like same sort of thing. I knew anything I could say to her, I could talk to her and it wouldn't get back to any, it would just stay between us. I mean, I, I imagine she had case notes because they have to, but, I, I know she wasn't running to like my foster family or running to my biological family. And um, unless there was like a, a real concern there, you know, but uh, no, Kathy was really great. I even, um, it's so funny because like I work in social services and I'm involved in the union and it just, the world's a very small place and you learn that. So when I started working where I work now, like within a year, I remember I uh, reached out to her because she was just getting ready to retire. My foster mom had told me that she was just getting ready to retire. So I wanted to like re just reconnect with her quickly uh, before she retired so me and her met up for um just a, a coffee in oshawa there right and uh i wasn't really at this phase of like thanking social workers or cs workers at this point in my life i was still you know i was still pretty young and trying to figure out who the hell i was right but so anyways i just i had my daughter and stuff so i wanted to like go show her pictures of that and uh and my wife and so me and her were ch chatting for like an hour or so at the coffee shop and it, it turns out that the place that i'm I still work at it was one of her first jobs actually come on so it's just funny how the world's such a small little small little yeah. world you know yeah so let me try and piece this together okay so yeah. the place that you work at currently allowed you to get into the union which you enjoy and those that know johnny know that you're a union guy from there you were able to reconnect with a 16 year absence with your first caseworker with lauren but also being able to understand that your second caseworker's first job was where you are right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy story, right? Like that's meant to be. I think that's, that's social services for you, man. Yeah. And it's a small world and you get to see people in different walks of life and kind of right on, along the right lines and, and saying that they definitely impacted you and helped you get to that position where you're at. 100%. The caseworkers and like the foster parents, right? So it's like a team effort and I'm learning like, as we go through our journey with child protection workers. Um, one thing I, I, I'm learning is that it's, it's, um, it's a team effort. You know what I mean? It's, it's the foster parents work. It's also the caseworkers work. Yeah. So there is good work being done at these places. And like I said, I just know sometimes foster parents and, and caseworkers are villainized. And I just, I like to share my story as much as I can to talk about the positive things that happen with these agencies the philosophy of any social service or foster care any caseworker is to take care of the child the well-being of the child and make sure that they can navigate them in the right direction right i, I think that's pretty safe to say that yeah. um, many children in foster care are subject to you know some sort of abuse or neglect you know and there's this terrible statistic of 30 percent of children in foster care have severe emotional behavioral or developmental issues. John, I just really want you to be, you know, frank with us and let us know how important it is that caseworkers are there willing to help you and, and provide a positive impact. I would say that like it's 
I don't think I'd be where I am today uh, if it wasn't for uh, the caseworkers and foster parents that I've had in my life guiding me. Uh, I would also say it's also really important that the kids, you know, want to change or want the help. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it has to be a two-way road kind of deal, It has right? to be a two-way road. And, I mean, I, I know, I, don't get me wrong, like, I was angry. I was an angry little boy at sometimes, too. But I wanted to change. Like, I wanted, I didn't want to be that person, you know? And, uh, and. Um, it's really difficult to navigate, especially as a teenager. I'll tell you, from my experiences, you know, my not, my dad not being around and not having that direct role model, right? I, you know, my sister, obviously having my mom and my mom was amazing. Like she was a great mom and she did everything she could double time, but there's just some things that you need from your dad. Right. And for me, I was always looking for that outlet. That's where self-care you comes from is hopefully to provide somebody who's really trying to answer those questions that doesn't necessarily know where to go, doesn't know what the resources are, but is able to listen to this podcast and say, Hey, you know what? I listen to John's story. I, I understand the importance and how much it is. I can relate. I'm able to navigate it a little bit better because someone told me a story, kind of like an encyclopedia. And that's really what I'm trying to get at. It's really important to make sure that we are positively spotlighting people that do this work, right? And caseworkers are just obviously some of the best people, some of the, you know, some of the best people that you can see, you know, kind of interesting that now that you are in a field where you take care of people do you think there's any relation to there oh 100 i got involved yeah i entered social services because of my experience right so i wanted to use my experience as kind of a positive thing um again just try and look at everything in a positive light right so um i mean i could sit down and frown upon my life i guess uh, but i choose not to i choose to you know take as a learning curve, take all the learning experiences that I've been taught over the years and try and implement them into my work life now. Right. So, um, even like just with care with my own kids as well. So Johnny, I got a question for you. The general question that we ask everyone that's on the podcast in in generality, but in your case, if you had a young man, you know, in front of you struggling in foster care, trying to figure themselves out and what's next, what's something that you would say to them? What's some advice that you'd give them? Uh, the way I like to look at my life and how I describe my life is that everyone gets dealt a, a hand in cards, right? Um, you can't predict what your hand is going to be. The only thing you can predict is what you do with that hand. So, you, you know, there's people that are born into rich, wealthy families. There's people that are born into loving, born, born into loving homes. Um, I wasn't really, I mean, I was in a loving home, I guess, but I wasn't really fortunate enough to, to stay in that home. So, I ended up having to, you know, use the cards I was dealt and, and recognize that there was issues there and that I needed to like figure out what what life I wanted to do or what what kind of man I wanted to become, right? So um I find like it depends on the age of the person I was talking to, but I find like at some point you just need to like move forward and, and stop like frowning on the past or stop feeling sorry for yourself or stop with the pity party, like, and just move forward, recognize that this is where you're at and just start taking steps forward in your life to better yourself. Um, because ultimately that's, it's sad because most kids in care have to do that earlier. Um, they have to come to that realization a little earlier and they have to, if they're, if they're able to, to move forward in life, they usually have to start at a younger age. Um, yeah. 
Sure. It's at some point. Yeah. They have to understand that this is where I am and I have to find a path to get out from here. Right. I have to work, you know, I have to make sure that I use the resources that I have. And like you mentioned earlier, I have to be committed to it as well, because if you're not committed to it, not willing, obviously you're going to end up in trouble, right? You're going to end up. Don't get me wrong. Like in doing that, like that, there was always steps backwards. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, you just have to be committed to keep going forward, even when you take two steps backwards, you know, and, um, and, try, and try and change, like recognize that you need help. Like I've gone to counseling, I've gone to anger management. Um, I knew that I didn't want to be that angry person my whole life. And I knew that I needed to talk about things. Um, so just recognizing that I needed to get that help, even after care, like even some of the hardest parts for kids that go through care isn't so much the time in care. It's the time after care. Um, Cause when you're in care, you actually have, you know, a foster family that is, is supporting you or helping you. Um, once you age out, you're, you're, if you haven't really been connected with your birth family, um, it, it can be a real hard go for a lot of the kids that are leaving care. And um, you just, like I said, you just, you just gotta, want to move forward and, and, and keep bettering yourself, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I've, you know, I've spent some nights sleeping on park benches in Oshawa and I've spent some time at Cornerstone and uh, at the end of the day, I always knew I wanted better, you know? So I ended up finding, I, find, I found Nikki who, you know, is a wonderful person and she makes me want to be a better person. And um, she helped me, you know, get on the right path and, and, and keep moving forward. Cause I wanted a better life for her and I wanted a better life for myself. Right. So um, that's one of the pieces of advice I always give people is to choose your partner wisely. Um, <laughs> cause it's so true. If you're choosing someone that's got some bad habits or someone that's got some issues, two people with issues don't always work out, you know? Um, right. Right. I have Nikki's got a big, beautiful family that's accepted me and help. They help us. Don't get me wrong. Like we've had lots of help along the way. And, um, yeah, I mean, as if I was just like a, if I wouldn't have found Nick, I don't know where I'd be. So yeah, it's, listen, Nikki is one of the best people I know. Like, she is a kind heart, and you guys make a great team. You got a great family. You're doing great things. You should be proud of yourself, man. If you had, you know, the opportunity to say one thing to all caseworkers, what would that be? Thank you. Um, again, it's a thankless job. I know a lot of kids don't get the opportunity to to reconnect with their workers, and I know a lot of kids don't want to reconnect with their workers sometimes um, because maybe parents have, you know, instilled bad things in their head about workers. Um, but at the end of the day, these people get involved in this career because they generally care about the well-being of kids and they do a job that is um, like thankless and tiresome and their caseloads are huge. And um, like I said, anytime I see a CS, a CS worker at a union conference, I always make sure to like thank them because I just don't think you can thank them enough to be honest with you. So, well, yeah. And that's just the kind of guy you are, Johnny, Johnny, listen, I really appreciate you taking the opportunity to come and tell your story and share your experiences. Not too many people will step out and really expose themselves with their story and how they grew up. And I appreciate you for that. So thanks a lot. I, well, I, th- I appreciate what you're doing, Scott. I think it's a good idea. A, a great podcast and i think you're doing good work yourself and uh, yeah thanks for having me thanks brother all right man thank you well i want to thank john for coming on the show and you know it's really tough to come out and really extend your story out to everyone but 
One of the great points of this conversation was when John said this. You know, I've spent some nights sleeping on park benches in Oshawa, and I've spent some time at Cornerstone, and uh, at the end of the day, I always knew I wanted better, you know? Well, I appreciate John coming on the show and telling us, you know, a very relatable story. I wanted to make sure that I ended off the show with saying thank you. I appreciate all the support. Our podcast is being listened to every single day, which is amazing. I love everyone that's listening to it, and I really appreciate all the support. Thank you. This is Self Care You, and we definitely leveled up today with John Hollick.